You're listening to the Lean Built Podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm Andrew. In this podcast, we discuss our manufacturing companies, lean principles, and the freedom that we're pursuing in life and business. How are you doing, Jay? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. Got some new things that we're moving forward. So we had a big push this year to actually get so many things that are 90 to 95% complete launched. And it looks like we're going to wrap, it's November, but by December 31st, we'll have launched three new products, which is exciting. The big thing is we added to our website this service called Credit Key. It's kind of like the negative terminology would be buy now, pay later, which I don't like, and I am not a personal proponent of that. Okay. But I was talking to my dad about it, and he's like, well, did you have that opinion when you started the company? And there were two things that really got Pearson Workholding started. The first one was that I was doing my design work. I was making like prints in Corel Draw. What? Yeah. So imagining <laughs> the 3D object, seeing it in my brain, and then drawing. It's not even close. Like they have like rulers and stuff like that, but I was drawing the actual, like as if I were drafting, because that's where I took drafting in high school and college. That was fun stuff. But it wasn't until a guy came by and demoed SolidWorks for me. And he wasn't like a reseller or anything. He was a mechanical engineer. He was showing me some of his stuff and I was blown away at the software. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever you're selling, that's cool. But what is this? And he's like, oh, it's SolidWorks. Let me show you. So I approached SolidWorks or DeSalt or whoever the reseller at at the time was. And they said, oh, your startup. Okay, we got this new program. You might just be a great fit for it. And the program that they worked with a local bank, actually, it wasn't a local bank. I still remember to this day, Heartland Business Credit. I don't know if they're still around. That's not a plug. That's just what I remember. They did this thing where you could buy your $6,500 seat of SolidWorks, basic, whatever edition. And it was like two years. It was 0% and it was a reasonable payment. I don't know what the math works out to, but it was like, oh, I have this amazing software. I have it right now. I'm using it. And the yeah. cash flow will hopefully come later. So I was talking to my dad and, and he's just saying, yeah, I mean, there's you, Jay, you've long forgotten those days of being in the startup mode and having a dream, but not having the tools. You should at least make it an option for your customers. And if they go into massive debt, whether they buy your pallet system and put it on a credit card and pay 20% or whatever for 10 years, that's on them. But for now, why don't you give them just an easy integrated thing so that someone that doesn't have a credit card or is rightfully not a big proponent of credit cards, they have some other option to get their hands on equipment. Because like our average ticket is around the $2,000 mark. And then our road device, it's in the the mid to high threes, depending on accessories. And there's cash flow issues, issues, even for established companies waiting 30, 60, 90 days. Okay, finally, I can get my hands on the cash for the the job we did a month or two ago. Oh, and then all these other things have stacked up. There may not be money left over. So I did a lot of research, a lot of due diligence, and I landed on Credit Key. There's some others that I see. I want to say Klarna. And Credit Key was just the right mix of a good team good reviews, easy process. It's not a hard credit check, which I really like. 
and they won't give money to just anyone. You have to have a business. It can be a DBA, it can be sole prop, S corp, whatever you want, but they screen it out because it, they don't want to be risking their working capital either. So right. when we signed up for it, I handed over the integration to one of my guys, Wyatt, and he came off the phone with the tech support guys going, man, this is such a great company, which is impressive. Like Anytime you can get domestic tech support, that's like a win right there. And they were friendly, they were knowledgeable, they were engaging, had it up on our site. I'm really impressed because if we adjust prices, it's got a little banner that says, get this for $200 a month or something. If we change prices, it recalculates it and it's an image. So it's always running this algorithm and we don't have any like need to update a bunch of things. It's just automatic. So I'm pretty excited for, I always will have a soft spot for the startups, for the dreamers, for the quote unquote little guys. And yep. to put our products in their hands at an affordable rate, I think it's it's one to four percent is what the customer cost is. And to us, I, I can't remember, but it's not anywhere close to it's like a credit card fee. It's like maybe two and a half to three and a half percent, something like that. So gotcha. I'm excited to see how it goes and if people cool. take advantage of it. I've seen more and more companies in the e-commerce retail space using services like Sezzle, which oh, essentially sure. allows you to split it up into payments and I've been very opposed to it. We don't offer it. And it's not that I'm opposed to it in in principle because I buy CNC machines that I pay for monthly. There you go. There's no principle that a business has to have cash on hand. Oftentimes, the way you get to paying for the machine is having the machine. That's right. Totally understandable. Yeah. But it's a completely different thing when someone wants to put an $80 purchase on a payment plan. And I look at that and go, it's one thing to sell revenue generating items. And it's a completely different thing to sell a consumer good that they'll use that only decreases in value over time and does not generate revenue. Yeah. Well said. If you, this is the same thing, like I I think about cars, the premium you pay for a brand new car and the hit you take in value the second you drive it off the lot is so significant that in most cases, it's just not, in my opinion, not worth buying a new car. I, I will probably buy used cars for my entire life. Yep. It's, and it's, it's such a leverage play too. You know, you have the same utility, especially what you were talking about where you have hail damaged cars. Oh yeah. Hail damaged cars are awesome. Love that. But interestingly though, and this is true of in a lot of fields, like if you buy a $250 Squire guitar, five years from now, it'll be worth less than you paid for it. But if you buy a $6,000 Fender Custom Shop guitar, five years from now, it could be worth as much or more than you paid for it. And cars value. are the same way, but not all cars are equally the same way. So you buy a $60,000 car, five years from now, it's worth less. You buy a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, it might be worth more. Mm -hmm. The question is, are you going to wreck it in that five years? Is it going to get dinged in a parking lot? Are you going to blow up the engine? Like It's not a guarantee, but there are certain things once you get up to a certain price point, they naturally float on top of the market. And as prices go up, they go up. Porsche is this way as well. Yeah. But a lot of cars aren't that way. A lot of guitars aren't that way. And the goods that I sell do not have any collectible value. 
mm-hmm. none. And they don't generate any revenue for my customers. Now, I have plenty of customers who use our gear for work and their income and their employment is dependent on them having this gear. Or their life. Or their life. Yeah. If you're a security guard and part of the requirement of your job description is you have to have a firearm and a good quality holster, you don't have your job if you don't have that gear. But the gear isn't making you money the same way. Yeah. So I really don't like the idea of using services like Sezzle. If a person doesn't have 80 bucks to spend on something, they should that's not a be whole different problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I was listening to, this is a while back, the Within Tolerance podcast and one of our customers, Joe Ro- Rogan, Rogan Buck. Yeah, <laughs> Joe Rogan Buck. He purchased a Rotovice and I was just listening to him and Dylan chat and the company came up and he talked. I think Joe's quote was something along the lines of the Pearson Rotovice is like the, it was something like like the sleeper product that I sell or like the best value, which I do, I agree. It is like, it's probably got the fastest ROI, but it does okay. require a mill, B, a rotary, rotary indexer, and then R's on top of that. And that's very pricey, but then you stack four. I just saw on Instagram today, this dude, he's holding a, these blanks and he each blank, he's getting four pieces. So he gets 16 parts per cycle. And I'm like, that right there, that is what is going to take this guy forward past the competition. It's just beyond competition. It's just going to get him to the end of his day sooner. And we talk about sooner versus faster. Yep. And then op two, he'll do uh, eight parts in a double vice, four per jaw station. So yeah, I can agree. If you don't have 80 bucks to drop on a consumable or not a consumable, just not a need, that's one thing. But I do feel like we've accepted credit cards since 2010. And it's not my job to play Dave Ramsey to people, but I do, I am excited about that because it does have lower fees. It's easy application, all that stuff with credit keys. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Willing to try anything. So what else is new? Our assembly room is, it's drug on. Like we printed the poster, a poster of the plans. My architect had a, like a rendering and it said coming summer. 2023. (laughs) Here we're like solidly into fall. And it's been amazing to see the scattering of different subcontractors come in and not come in when they say they're going to. It's been so frustrating. My only good contractor, well, my general contractor, he's great, Bill. And then my electricians are awesome. And oh, so Manny, when you call in to place an order, it's Manny's uncle. And it was funny because when we moved into our building a couple of years ago, we were going, oh my gosh, this, this other electrician we're using was terrible. And again, no shows like crazy. And then after a couple of days, Manny's like, do you want me to call my dad and my uncle? They're electricians. I'm like, Manny, yes, please. By all means. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, Why is he not here right now? So it's just whenever you have a great vendor, and this goes beyond construction, like hold on to that vendor, celebrate them, give them gifts, send them Christmas cards, flowers. We're always sending like gift cards to our vendors. Like one vendor, our rockstar vendor, Platonics, always sending them gift cards or uh, Maria, really? she's the expediter there, flowers. The other guys will give them coffee or a six pack of beer. And then our, our Blanchard grinder, Scotty, he's amazing. And so we're always giving him and his employee like little gift cards and things like that, Amazon stuff. And it, huh. it just goes to show like, when people prioritize relationship and just principles like, hey, I'm going to be there on this day and I'm going to show up, 
you take care of that person when they show up on that day and do a great job. So it just caused me to appreciate. I don't want to be a complainer. I like complainers because they see what's wrong. And then we use that as an impetus to go after the things that we need to fix. But yeah, just my internal complaining. What do I do with that? I can't fix it because this is literally a third party. I'm just going to cherish the people that I do have those relationships with and just kind of step back and take a bigger holistic approach and treating people right and giving praise when praise is due. So that's the journey I've been on. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So some things have been changing for us. We have a job opening right now. And obviously our podcast is published with a couple of week delay. So Mm -hmm. by the time this airs, that job posting will be a couple of weeks old, but our production manager moved on to a different position in a different company. And I think I'd mentioned this, I forget if I mentioned it on the podcast previously, but he had come to us from the medical device industry. And there are several like billion dollar companies in our area that are in medical device manufacturing. And that's where he had come from. And it felt kind of like he stepped down from the major leagues to the minor leagues to play Mm. for us for a season. Okay, And then got headhunted to move back up into a different position at a different company, but in that same industry. And so we're now in our first week of him not being here. And it's been good and bad. And obviously, anytime somebody who's a linchpin in your organization leaves, you discover a lot of things you didn't realize they were taken care of that suddenly you have to take care of or somebody else has to take care of. So even though we had pretty careful planning and handoff meetings and going over all of his daily work to make sure we understood the scope of what he was doing and had a plan for who was going to cover which bases. The reality is until the person's gone and you are responsible for getting it all done, you don't really taste the full extent of it. So that's been a little bit challenging. But it also, anytime you have a sudden hole in the organization, if you just try to hire a person and plug that hole with as close to exactly the same person as you had before. You miss the opportunity to reevaluate everything happening in that area and say, this was working. Could we be doing it differently? That's right. Yep. And so in our morning meetings yesterday and today, we've been talking a lot about that because all the employees have their own iPad. Everyone's plugged into the ERP system. And what we haven't been able to successfully do yet is really get decentralized, coordinated, self-directed choosing of jobs based on real-time priority in response to demand. Mm -hmm. Our production manager had been basically being the information hub, and he was keeping an eye on the big picture and then communicating throughout the day with people on the floor, hey, when this job finishes up, we're going to pivot to this other job that just came in. Because Our turnaround times are very quick. Oftentimes, when a customer sends us a PO, it enters production within that single business day. PO Mm -hmm. that comes in at noon might be out on the floor by 1.30 or 2 p.m., which means our discussion in the morning at the morning meeting, I always make a point of going over production for the day because things change so rapidly that the top priority job that we were working on yesterday could conceivably need to get paused today if something else came up overnight that needs to get done immediately. Mm -hmm. And so we always have that coordination discussion very briefly, shorthand, in our morning meeting so everybody knows, here's priority one, priority two today. Mm -hmm. But even in the course of the day, that can shift. And we don't currently have a way 
to make sure that information gets out through the ERP to the iPads, to the right people at the right time, we almost always default to walking across the building, finding the person in question and telling them face-to-face, which is not terrible. Yeah. Is that because it's easy or is it lazy? It's reliable. This is the, when you're talking about data systems, talking back and forth, one system sends information to the other system and the second system sends confirmation of receipt back. Mm-hmm. And this is, you send a text message and you don't get a response. In some apps, it'll give you an indicator that says it was seen. But even when that says seen, you don't know for sure that the person actually read it and comprehended it and took in the information you sent. It just might mean this app was open on their phone, sitting on the table when your message got sent. And so their iPhone interprets it as seen, yeah. but they were walking away from their table to get a cup of coffee and they came back and put the phone to sleep and dropped it in their pocket and never yeah. even looked at it. Yeah. It's like what I said to my boys. I know you heard me, but you're still not listening. <laughs> There's a great scene. One of my favorite deep cut movies, David Mamet's film Spartan with Val Kilmer in it. There's a great scene where these couple of guys are they're getting driven by some police officers. They're military guys and they're going to do an insertion and try to extract a hostage from a house. And the guy in the backseat, Val Kilmer, who's like the team leader, he's like saying, okay, when we get to the beach house, no one else goes on the property. It's just me and him. And then there's this two second pause and he goes, acknowledge that you heard me. (laughs) (laughs) And just that very simple, clear, I've put information out. You need to give me feedback back to know that you heard me. The ERP system allows us to update jobs on the fly and change their priority settings and modify due dates and do a whole bunch of things, which is great, but it doesn't have any kind of feedback loop that tells me for sure that the person I'm trying to get the information to saw it and is taking action based on it. Mm-hmm. And the other challenge is the way we handle job initiation, because most of our jobs run and done in a single day, we have a work board and we print off a traveler, a paper traveler for each job. And that traveler goes with the bin of parts and that's the lead end of the job. And the way that you get into that job in the ERP on your iPad is you just scan the QR code on the traveler and it takes you immediately into the job, which is really great and direct. You have the the parts physically in front of you. You don't have to type in a number. You just scan it with the camera and your iPad and boom, you're in that job. Problem is the traveler is a physical artifact Mm -hmm. and it cannot be updated on the fly. If the traveler calls for a certain quantity or the job is set at a certain priority and we want to change that, the traveler's already been printed. None of the information on the traveler can change. If you QR code scan it, the job you've scanned into will change, will be changed and may no longer match the traveler. The traveler says 20X of this part, here's a QR code. You scan it and then the job says 40X of this part. You're like, what's going on? Well, the job changed after the traveler was printed. But- if we get rid of the paper travelers, which ideally we want to be paperless, but if we get rid of the paper travelers, then we have to rely on the system auto-sorting jobs based on priority, due date, any number of other factors to queue the appropriate job to the top of the list of available operations based on each employee. And we can filter that. The employees can be authorized for certain work centers and not for others so that jobs on this or that machine queue to the top of their list. But that whole thing is kind of a black box in terms of how the ERP really does it. And it hasn't always worked reliably enough for me to just say, I updated that job. 
I don't need to walk out to the floor and check. I'm certain that the appropriate people will immediately see the relevant information and will clearly take action on it. Yeah. There's yeah. this sort of one-way signal problem mm-hmm. where I can put information out, but until I go to the floor to verify, I don't know that it's actually taking effect. Yeah, that is such a common problem. So I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and uh, this was years ago, and he was asking me, what do you use to use? There's QuickBooks Manufacturing Edition. There's all these different ERPs, and they're out of the box. And in my business owners group, Convene, we talk about that stuff all the time. We don't talk about kind of lower level things like hiring and firing. Certainly we do, problematic people, but we're more of, it's a CEO group. So we're 30,000 foot view. And all of the companies, every single company has custom written software. No one uses out of the box software because you're A, paying for something that you're most likely not going to use all the features. B, you're paying for something that isn't a perfect fit for your company. Now, it may be for someone's company. And so, like, I think of like a job boss or an E2 or the systems that Pro Shop. There's a lot of features I'm sure that people use and don't use, but it worked great for the Pro Shop guys when they were running their own shop. But there's certain things that, like, if we used Pro Shop, I'd be like, nah, we're not going to really use that. But fast forward a few years, oh, we should be using that. So, it's this struggle. Like, what's the balance? For us, we had custom written software that does that assigning. It, it retains notes. We don't have paper travelers. We don't have a lot of changes once something's been launched. Yep. Most of the changes happens before the job has even been started. So when I redesign a component, maybe the saw cut length changes or we're updating the minimums as the company grows. Uh, quick side note, if you have Kanban cards, Kanbans dictate the minimum and maximum. We kept falling behind in 2018, 19, I'm going, why is it that like we keep struggling? We've been doing lean for four or five years. I don't understand. Like, why do why are we always falling behind? And the reason was that the minimums on the Kanban card did not adjust upward with the growth of the company. So the company was growing at a, a hundred percent, it would double every 18 months. Well, we would have an old like 50 piece minimum. But then we're selling 18 months later, a hundred that we needed to have that hundred piece minimum. And then I went, oh, that was our light bulb moment. Now we never fall behind. It's just a non-issue, but you see the minimum cross out a bunch of times. So how does that get plugged into existing software where we use a physical Kanban, which is kind of like almost synonymous to a traveler. It's a data information uh, point. And there's not software that really does that, to my knowledge. I know there is in different forms. They may not call it Kanban, but we just had to go out and hire a developer and develop this thing. The thing is, I'm I'm really, at this point, seriously considering releasing our software as a sellable product because when I'll give shop tours and I will show them our Kanban cards, I'll show them the barcode on the back and how we purchase and how we do all this stuff. And people go, oh my gosh, that, I need that. And it's, yeah, I, I know you do because- Everyone we, does. We needed it and here it is. And yes, everyone. But you know, I, I know to stay in my lane, that's what's been holding me back over the years, like strategically been holding me back, not fear-based, but I don't know software. I know manufacturing. I know lean productivity. It's a whole new thing. And it would require like a good support. If we're going to put 
a product out there, it needs to be supported. And I'm not sure that we would have a critical mass if we launched a software automation side of the company. And even if it were like 50 bucks a month, something low level, and maybe I did the tech calls, which is a terrible use of my time. But you know, if I did that, maybe we could get some like momentum and then we could get enough revenue to justify a position. Then we're back to breaking even on the revenue of the software. So it's one mm-hmm. of those things. It is a definite need. Most companies need custom software and it's not readily available in the packages that we are expecting. That's the problem. The trade-off to having custom versus buying something out of the box is a lot of small businesses do not have the buying power to really generate custom software that's going to be robust and capable enough to do everything that they need. Mm -hmm. And by buying an out-of-the-box software, you are essentially crowdsourcing the cost of building that software. Some parts of it are going to fit you better than others. And we have in our company, some custom software, our shipping software is customized. Uh, It's actually built completely from scratch for us. It's not just a modified version of an existing thing, but we're using an out-of-the-box ERP. And some ERPs have more ability and some have less to turn modules on and off and toggle feature sets on and off and have some control over the interface. And the more variability there is, the more user configurable it is, the more I'm interested in an out-of-the-box solution so I can at least bend it in the direction Mm -hmm. I want it to go even if I can't change the underlying architecture of the software. But I've also seen small companies spend dollars $60,000 getting custom software made for them. And the end result is they have a thing that sort of works, but because they didn't fully anticipate the scale it would need to grow to, it has inherent limitations that they've painted themselves into a corner. They've made this investment And in order to get to the next level, they basically have to burn it down and start over. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the stage we're in because I had an original developer that developed our software cheap, like 1500 bucks, ugly as sin, works, sort of. It it wouldn't auto-renew SSLs. And so that was a manual thing. But when we redid it, we paid about $6,000 and that was about, oh, maybe going on five years ago. So let me do some quick math. Oh yeah, it's a hundred dollars a month. So the way that the software industry is structured now, everything's subscription based practically. So six thousand dollars over the use of five years, which would be sixty months, hundred bucks a month. It it actually is cheaper, or it will be cheaper in the long run. The more you use it, but as the more you use it, you're going to want more features and you want more robust reporting, for example. Yeah, it is a trade off. It's a bigger investment up front. So the challenge we found with using an out of the box ERP is. Certain things you can customize, other things you can't. And in order for them to function, you end up having to actually modify the way you do things in your company to fit into the ruts in the road that are already there in the software. Yes. Painful. And and that can be both good and bad. Yeah. If the software actually is informed by manufacturing best practices, it can finally get you out of your rut of doing things the dumb, easy way you used to do them that's not going to scale and say, okay, the software requires you to designate this for every part. So you have to have all your costing data in here. Yeah, You can't just pretend that you know how much it costs to make this thing. You actually have to put the component cost in and you actually have to track the labor. And then that will generate an actual number. But even there, like when it comes to cost data on things, 
I know how much I pay a vendor for something. If I order this screw, I know how much that screw costs. But as soon as you start talking about exactly how much it costs us to make a finished product that uses components from multiple vendors and then involves manufactured parts from us, and we have to assemble it and we have to package it. Anytime the software tells you, oh, that cost you $32.19 to make, I just go, that's a guess. That's an approximation. It's, it should be ballpark. I hope it's ballpark. But is that really 19 cents? Yeah. Like one of the inherent limitations that actually makes math with a slide rule kind of humble and realistic is you punch two numbers up in a TI-83 calculator and it will give you a ridiculous number of digits of precision. But when you're doing math on a slide rule, you're always approximating and the approximation stacks. So as you multiply numbers with decimals, you end up having to reduce the number of significant decimals you can actually claim with accuracy. And that sense of, I'm not putting in garbage, but I'm putting in lettuce that's a little brown around the edges here and there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The data is never fully pristine. So this is my office. I'm sorry, my director of finance, Ryan, he handles all the office stuff as well. That's why I started to say that. But we've been on Oh man, I feel like it's well over a one-year process of adding true costs to each one of the components we make. So cycle time is just one thing. Cycle time on the multiple ops, on the sawing, the cost of the material, the time when it's being handled, which is called the tact time, green button to green button. And it's tricky because there was something that came up last month. He said, hey, Elliot, who manages our shipping, came to us. So he purchases, let me back up. Someone orders a custom-sized pallet or top plate. Mm-hmm. We punch it into our calculator. We quote it. Okay, so yep. Manny will quote it, and then if the order comes through, then we will buy it. Elliot sees both of those numbers because we use a, a Trello system, Trello board to increment the order through the various steps, and he'll see that I think we paid like one hundred and fifty dollars for the material, and mm-hmm. we sold it to the customer for one hundred and eighty or something. And Ryan said, just so you know, we're losing money on these top plates because the material prices have spiked. We're not sure. What really happened was when you buy one of something, it was $150. If you buy two of the custom shaped blanks, each one of them is, well, totally be like 170, something crazy like that. There's a lot of cost in the cutting and handling. Mm-hmm. So we heavily now heavily discount if you buy two or more, four or more, 10 or more, that type of thing on the custom side. But one is always going to be very expensive. And so in the back of my mind, I didn't say this because it's pointless to say to Ryan, but we didn't technically lose money. It's just that our numbers, we had a shop rate. It was probably on the machine for 20 minutes and then it was complete, ready to go. And maybe the shop rate on that machine is call it $90. So it would be $30 of fake cost on that machine plus the cost of the material was higher than what we sold it to the customer for. So it's like, did we lose money? No, we technically did not have cash leave our bank account. It still came in, but it was lower than an arbitrary threshold that we specified. So the machine rate on that machine was probably 20 bucks an hour, not the $90 an hour. But even that, it's just, that's arbitrary information. That is, it's good management, but even the the good data you put in doesn't tell the whole picture, doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. So when you put in 
information that has some small margin of error, your information tolerance stacks. And the more layers that that tolerance stacks up across subcomponents and outside processing and shipping rates and all these things, it can arrive at a point where your top level number might have a significant amount of imprecision in it. Mm-hmm. And you, you can drill down to any individual level and say, oh yeah, that number is pretty close. But the combination of a whole bunch of pretty close numbers is a number that's not quite as pretty close. That's right. Yeah. But in our case, with the way the ERP has caused us to have to change things, we have reorganized our bomb and routing information for a lot of our standard parts at this point, dozens of times. And it's because we're always trying to find a way to streamline as much as possible and group the operations in the most intuitive way. We don't want the ERP to require a bunch of extra steps. If one person is doing steps seven, eight, and nine in a process, and those are essentially organized into a little chaku-chaku line where they're in one cell and they're doing this step and this step and this step, we don't want those to be three separate consecutive operations in the ERP that they have to be clocked into all three at the same time. Like We're constantly adjusting how we're doing things and how we're using the ERP to describe those things in order to as accurately as possible capture the actual workflow. Because the actual workflow works really well. The ERP's approximation and description of how the workflow functions can be more or less accurate to reality. Yeah. This is going to sound like a platitude, but it kind of comes down to, does the ERP work for you or are you working for the ERP? Right. And generally the ERP works for us, but there are certain places where you come to a one-way street in the ERP. You're like, I really want to take a right turn here. The place I need to go is one block away. I can see it from here, (laughs) but I have to go all the way around the block to come back to it from the other direction. Yeah. That's a quality play though. That's the right thing to do. Yeah. And the temptation is anytime you encounter a one-way street to just hop out of the ERP, cheat and drop back in someplace else, warp out of the level and warp back in. But that fundamentally doesn't actually solve the problem. It just kicks the can down the road. If you add workarounds, the more workarounds you have, the less stable the whole thing becomes. And then people won't interact if everything is in the ERP. People will at least live in the ERP. If some stuff's in the ERP and some stuff's in the filing cabinet, and some stuff's in the notes app on your phone, and some stuff is in Trello, and some stuff is on a post-it stuck on the fixture in the drawer, then nobody will actually lean in and learn to use the ERP to the fullest of its actual potential. Because you'll know, oh, this is a car with three wheels on it. The fourth wheel's over there. Yeah. It reminds me when we jumped headfirst into Fusion, it was actually Saunders had posted that he was doing, I think it was like the 30-day Fusion challenge where he didn't open SolidWorks. He didn't use whatever, open whatever cam system. And I'm like, man, if this guy's going to do it publicly, I'll do it privately. And it was painful, but it broke us. And there was just a handful of times that I would reopen SolidWorks or feature cam, what we used at the time. But it really does take like an all-in, we're doing it. We're not looking at the post-its. We're not grabbing you know, paper. We're just digging in. It's going to be painful. Well, we moved away from Freshdesk. I don't know if we had talked about this, but we're back on no. it. We had used Zoho 
Manny used Zoho on the inside for uh, CRM and okay. he liked it. He had pretty much like for most part become an expert level at it. And I said, this is a software built by programmers for programmers. It's ugly. It's non-intuitive. I can't stand it. So we looked at Freshdesk, uh, Zendesk, I think is another. We went with Freshdesk, but it has a beautiful interface. It's really intuitive, but it didn't have the power of Zoho. Well, in that time, and I told my team, hey, it's going to suck, but just power through it. We just need to not look back at Zoho. We're not looking at the shared Gmail questions account, questions that Pearson were holding. We're just going with this customer service module. And in that, we, we did, and we realized, wow, Zoho, that thing that was built by programmers, for programmers, there's a reason why it's the better choice. So I said, well, guys, this, I'm, you know I'm pro-failure. This doesn't seem like a good fit. Good job. Thank you for jumping in head first. Let's go back to Zoho. In the meantime, Zoho had completely reskinned their service. Mm-hmm. rewritten a bunch of stuff and they had added in some AI modules that didn't exist cuz AI is the future right yep. freshdesk had this AI module called freddy i'm like that's the future we're going to do it we're going we're going to get there eventually and you know we took probably 2 months off when we came back to to zoho it has an AI feature where it reads the emails and it suggests articles it can pre-populate all you need to do is read it and approve it and send Yep. We're not quite there yet. We're making our in-house knowledge base more robust. But it was one of those things where you just, you, it's okay to jump around. It's okay to jump around to try new technologies, but it's not okay to jump backwards because you meet a, a point of frustration. Always be jumping laterally or forward. I'm going to disagree with you. I think there is How a point. How dare you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. How dare I? There is a point. Certainly, it's not ideal, but there are times when you can roll forward to something and go, nope, nope, roll that back immediately. Yeah. Even in our ERP, we have a standing agreement with our customer service rep at the ERP that anytime he's got new features that are in beta, we want to test them. We just, yeah. we, anytime there's something new coming down the pike, we want to see it before it's permanent. Sure. And just a couple of weeks ago, they rolled out a change to an interface we use all the time. Within two hours of them rolling it out, I was on the phone. I said, nope, roll it back. We got to go back to the old version. And it was just because they had changed one or two basic pieces of functionality that we used all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of those changes was going to create dozens of additional clicks per job for every single operator on the floor. Yeah. The that- end result was you made this one little UI UX change, and now we have hundreds of additional clicks to make in the system per day. Roll it back. That happened with our e-commerce software. They they reskinned it. They said, "Hey, here's a new interface." We rolled it forward, and we're like, "This is terrible." They just need to fix this. We rolled it back, and they gave the option: roll back to what is it, the the original one, or uh, they call it legacy mode. And we did. And then a few months later, I'm watching the emails. Oh, it actually has that functionality that we use literally every hour great roll forward. Yeah. That, that, Hey, uh, I'm curious. Did they deem you as a beta tester? What do you mean? Like when you went forward, were you like in the category of early adopter or beta tester? Okay. Yep. All right. We voluntarily consented to try out a beta version. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. That's different. certainly if they were rolling out a scheduled change and we said, no, we don't want it. Keep us on the old version. That's a separate thing from saying, from them saying, 
hey, we're trying out some new UI UX in this thing we know in this module we know you use all the time. Do you guys want to try out the new version? And us saying, yes, absolutely, let's try out the new version. And then same day, starting to try the new version, going, hey, this creates enough additional friction for us that we can't use it daily. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and roll us back to the current version. Take yeah. us off the beta. That you know that works. Hey, you know what? Going back to the original thing of your, who is it? Your lead project? No. Production manager. Production manager. Thank you. This might be an opportunity. I saw that you posted that you bought Rocket Fuel, but Rocket Fuel is a subset of the main book written by Gina Wickman, which is called Traction, which is mm-hmm. talks about an entrepreneur's operating system, really gives a framework to businesses that have no framework for functioning. You ever consider that this might be an opportunity to like, okay, we're getting a new guy in here. We're going to have to bring him up to speed, but let's try something different. Let's go a proven mainstream path of the entrepreneur's operating system. Have you considered that? I'm considering a lot of things because as long as we can keep production running functionally, as soon as you plug somebody into that position, you have to quickly give them tools they can use. I can't plug a new person into a new position for them and then move the ground under their feet every week for their first six months. That's right. I have to give them something stable enough that they can learn it and get a handle on it. So as long as we can manage production for a little while without a person in that seat, just by divvying up the responsibilities among a couple people and collectively sharing that work, we can, since all of us already know the internals of the company, we can experiment more with how we organize things without taking one person and giving them daily whiplash. Mm -hmm. Sure. So That, that will be a point of frustration if you have someone come on board and suddenly they're learning something new and you're changing it. Yes. I don't want to set somebody up to fail by giving them a system that won't be stable enough for them to actually get a handle on it and learn it. Yeah. And it'll be mostly a question of in our experimenting, do we see real gains in the short term that make us want to reconfigure how we have that position work? Because it's much easier to figure out the changes you want and then bring somebody into the new changed version than to take somebody who's working in it in the current version and say, hey, we're going to change everything about how your position functions. Learn the new way. Yeah. That's because good. then it's really hard to not reflexively revert back to the way you were doing things previously, mm-hmm. especially if some of the new inefficiencies that are created are particularly irksome to you. Yeah. I think that's why startups are so brutal on people. It's because everything's new and they're trying to build the plane in the air. Hey, hey, I really want to hear about your lathe journey. What's the latest? I I think we should probably postpone that till next episode and I can tell you more about it. Oh, yeah. We're up against the clock, aren't we? Yep. Okay. So wait a full week. Yeah. Oh, things are crazy. But I have a lot of ideas on the lathe and mill turn end that I'll tell you about. Great. Because my brain is full, full of questions, full of ideas, full of machine specs and dollar signs. Hashtag cliffhanger. What do you call that when you don't part the piece off fully into the sub? It's not a cliffhanger. It's a crash, isn't it? That sounds about right. (laughs) Crash hanger. Crash Crash hanger. hanger.